0: Welcome to the Asset Management Mastery Podcast. Your hosts, Gary Lipsky and Kyle Mitchell, have more than 50 years of combined experience in operations and management, and more than 25 years of real estate investing experience. This show focuses on educating syndicators and apartment owners on how to build systems and manage their properties more efficiently to become a best-in-class operator. 100% straight talk. Let's jump in.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Asset Management Mastery podcast. I'm your co-host, Kyle Mitchell, also joined by Gary Lipsky. This podcast is focused on educating operators, building better systems, and becoming a best-in-class operator. Also, be sure to check out our Facebook group, Asset Management Mastery.
2: How many times have you thought, there has to be a better way, while working through endless rent rolls and historicals? Enter to RedIQ, who will process and standardize them, generate deep and accurate property insights, and bring you through the final underwriting all in just five minutes. As for underwriting, thanks to RedIQ's new Excel add-in called QuickSync, you can continue using your own model and instantaneously populate it with the data from RedIQ with just the click of a button. Request a demo today at RedIQ.com.
1: All right. Today on the show, we have Gene Trowbridge. Gene, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Kyle. Well, we appreciate you coming back on our show. If you can start by telling the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you do. Sure. I am a securities lawyer. I have a law firm that specializes
2: in drafting private placement memorandums. We do a lot of work in the Regulation D space. I think we've done work for you and Gary and appreciate that. And I was a syndicator for a long time. And then at 45, I went to law school and became a securities lawyer. And I'm still doing it with no retirement in the future plan. Thanks for joining us today. Let's talk about the latest laws regarding raising capital. What's the new legislation surrounding accredited investors? And is it in effect now or is it coming soon? December 8th. The new proposal was effective, and what it did is it increased the number of people who would qualify as accredited investors, but not necessarily terribly helpful to all of us. One of the things it did, it said that people who have securities licenses, like a Series 6 65 and 82, I think it is, if you have a securities license and you're licensed by the SEC to sell securities, why the hell wouldn't you be able to invest in a security regardless of your net worth? And so they said, that's fine. So that was good. But that didn't extend to any other professions, just securities brokers. Then one of the things I found that was interesting is it introduced the word spousal equivalent. And so, you know, to be an accredited investor, you have to have a million dollars of net worth, not counting your house, if you're single or married. But what about the couples that are living together who aren't married? And there's a lot of those couples in the United States. Well, they brought the term spousal equivalency in. And so now the law says, if you're single, married, or involved with a spousal equivalency, a million dollars is the number. So, you can count both people even though they're not married. The same thing for the $300,000 annual income that was required for people married filing jointly. Now, if there's a spousal equivalent in the family and they both file separately because they're not married, they can combine the income and if it's $300,000, they're accredited. So, that could be pretty big. And then then I think the only other thing that was really important is that they clarified that all the entities who are out there that are trying to invest, if their assets are five million dollars or more, the entity itself is accredited, and you don't have to worry about who the individual members are. And that spreads into, you know, 401Ks and IRAs and all that. And that could be easy because before there was a distinction between net worth and investment assets, and they just simply said assets. So that's it. I don't find that that whole thing has been terribly helpful in the last 90, 120 days as far as getting more accredited investors in there. But the government did say that that does, they think, increase the number of accredited investor households in the United States up to about 16 million and so that's a lot of accredited investor households. A lot of good information there. I have two follow up questions for that. So with the significant other, do they both have to invest or can one only invest to meet that, you know, Well, no, they'd have to invest together. Okay. They'd have to invest together. And then my other question is so that 5 million for the entity you know, because we, you know, we talked to a lot of funds that, you know, have a lot of sophisticated investors within that group. So if they if they met that $5 million threshold as a group, then they'd all become accredited. Then it's one investor, the group. Well, the entity, yes. Yeah. yeah. And you don't worry about who's in the entity right. and whatever. It's just that entity. As long as the entity wasn't formed just to invest in your deal, right. you know, it's got to be an ongoing entity with $5 million of assets. So that'd be great. You should, when you guys continue to go through the family office world, you'll find all sorts of that. And 401ks too, you know, like our firm has a 401k. If we had $5 million in our 401k in assets, then we wouldn't care. Like my daughter is an employee. Well, she's not accredited, but the entity would be accredited. So that would be fine, yeah. Now, the thing that's coming that I got to bring it up because it's it's not coming, it's proposed and it's not going to come is uh, this issue about finder's fees. Finders and finder's fees. Jonathan and my partner and I just went through a deal with the SEC and Finra last weekend where we were learning about this and they are not happy about this proposal. In fact, I got an email this morning from someone that I work with who says, you know, educate me on how non-licensed securities people are going to be able to sell securities in a 506C. I said, oh, hold on, hold on. If anything passes, it'll be watered down from what you heard about, I'm absolutely sure, and it would allow me to introduce someone to you guys. I could introduce someone to you. I couldn't tell them anything about the offering. I could just introduce you, and if they For the introduction, you could pay me $50, whether they invested a million, a hundred thousand, or nothing. So it's just a finder. It's not a salesman at all. And you can imagine that the broker dealer community, which everyone works like crazy to get licensed, and they're trying to protect investors from crazy people out there, isn't going to like that rule. So we'll see.
1: Yeah, I have more of a statement than a question, but I see people now thinking that that proposed law was actually already passed and they're acting as if they can go out and now, you know, have people raise capital for a fee on their deals. And I think that's pretty amazing. And, you know, just a statement, I've seen it for the last several months. So you've got to definitely make sure you do your due diligence and understand that is just a proposal. And as you said, it's going to be watered down. So be careful how you're raising capital out there.
2: Right. You know, there are gurus out there talking about that because they don't understand it. And they're giving people bad advice. Last year, I know we ran into a guy who, who had 18 members in his manager entity, and they all had contracts that if they, if they raised $500,000 or more, they would get paid a percentage of what they did. So I thought, I thought you just had to be a member of the manager. Yeah. Well, we thank you for helping guide us to (laughs) stay on the straight and narrow. Anything else that Syndicators should know about upcoming. Yeah, there, laws is one other, there is one other thing, yeah. and it's about integration and integration in the securities world means that the SEC could look at two offerings and say, you know, it's really one offering. You take in 35 sophisticated investors to buy some dirt, and then you turn around and take in 35 sophisticated mm. investors to raise the money to build the building on top of the dirt. The SEC could look at those two and say, you know, that's really one offering. You're trying to build a building. top of dirt. And you've got more than 35 investors. Therefore, you're screwed. You lose your your exemption. Well, there used to be a safe harbor that says six months. If you do a 506B here and then six months later, you do a 506B, they can both have 35 investors and you'll probably be okay. Six months was the rule of thumb. And now the rule of thumb is 30 days. It's one month from a 506B to another 506B or a 506C or whatever, 30 days is now the rule, except for one caveat. You can't take in more than 35 sophisticated investors and multiple offerings in 90 days. So even though it says it's a 30-day rule, that really doesn't affect the sophisticated investor rule, which is now 90 days. The 30-day rule is good. If I'm going to go out and do a 506B, and I close it down, and I want to do a 506C, I can do that right away. But if I want to do a 506C and close it down, and then go to a 506B, I only have to wait 30 days for that one. Because in the 506C, there are no sophisticated investors. So I don't have to worry about that crazy 90-day rule. 30 days later, I can go out and do a
1: 506B. Is your statement on the 30 days for two 506Bs only taking a combined total of 35 sophisticated investments? It's
2: it's actually, it is 30 days. That's the integration rule. But in two 506Bs,
1: there's kind of a subsection that says 90 days. Okay. Even if they're completely separate properties in two separate markets, not like the example that you said where you buy the land and then have one built up. Well, that is the issue. There are about six bullet points that the
2: SEC would look at to see if it was the same, if it should be integrated into the same offering. And four of them you can't avoid because you're taking cash in every deal. You're using one entity. But there are a couple that you can avoid. Maybe the loan is different. Maybe your apartment building in Kansas City has a different loan than your apartment building in LA. Well, you can argue that. And maybe one's a $50,000 investor minimum, and the other one is a $100,000 investor minimum. And maybe one of your 506B only takes accredited investors. So there are three or four things that you can differentiate. But if they go after you, you know, you've got to be ready. And I've done a podcast that's in my YouTube channel on that
1: integration rule. Okay. Kyle, you want to bring us home? Let's do it. Gene, what is your asset management superpower? My asset management superpower
2: is extremely timely
1: today. And you guys have heard
2: me say this over and over and over. Gary, I love your deal. I've got the $100,000 to invest in your deal. But if I give you my money, what happens if something happens to you? And if you can't answer that, I'm not investing. Okay. Now, you can because you've got the continuity because you've got Kyle. Okay, so that solves that whole question. Why is that an important asset management strategy today? Sponsors are dying of COVID. And they're leaving a group of investors with no leaders. No one knows what to do. There are still too many people out there putting together their syndication where the manager is just an individual person. Even if it's an LLC with one member, what happens when that person goes? There's asset management strategy right now. Let's make sure that you can continue to run your property. And you don't actually have to die. You could go bankrupt. You could get divorced. You could get sued. I had a guy well 10 years ago hit his head on some rocks skiing in Park City and came out of it as a quadriplegic. Now, who's going to run this stuff? So don't do that. Make sure you have continuity in your asset management structure to protect your investors and to protect your asset.
1: How's that? That is great advice, Gene. Thank you. (laughs) All right. If you can tell listeners where they can find out a little bit more about you. Sure. Our website is TrowbridgeLawGroup.com.
2: Look at our YouTube channel, which is called Trowbridge Law. And you can reach me at gene at TrowbridgeLawGroup.com. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, Kyle. I appreciate it. And I always look forward to this event of yours.
1: Yep, absolutely. We appreciate you coming on. And to all of our listeners out there, please like, subscribe, and review so we can continue to grow the podcast. And we'll talk to you next week.
2: the right insurance coverage for multifamily properties isn't that complicated if you know who to talk to at the Garzella group we're uniquely qualified to help you navigate the range of policy choices you have and we're committed to saving you 30% in the process we do intensive market research and have nationwide relationships so we can find coverage other insurance brokers simply can't we should talk go to quotenow.biz and we'll start the conversation
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and written review to help us grow and reach more listeners. You can also go to the Asset Management Mastery Group on Facebook so you can reach Kyle and Gary and ask your questions that you want them to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, to stay updated, go to assetmanagementmastery.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with Gary and Kyle, sign up on the contact page so you can talk to them directly. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in again next week for another episode.